A big g'day and welcome to the OK Boomer Show. I'm David Knight. And before we get going, let's uh, introduce a few things. But be sure you subscribe to our channel, ring that bell, get notified of our latest videos. You have the option to be notified for occasional videos or all of them. If you're on your phone, make sure you go into your settings and switch on notifications. And one quick reminder that OK Boomer is sponsored by Family Fest, Colorado's, Colorado's largest family festival in Denver, Colorado. The festival is located at the National Western Complex and takes place on February 22nd. You can get 50% off tickets online by pre-purchasing with the promo code OCNHALF at checkout. Head over to eventbrite.com now and search Family Fest to get your tickets today. Act now because the day of the event, adult tickets are $15. And as always, kids' activities are free with an adult ticket. So we'll see you there. See you at Family Fest. Thanks, Hannah. So that's Hannah Rice, my, uh, my guest for today on the OK Boomer Show. And uh, it's called OK Boomer 64 because guess what? I was born in 64. So just scraped in under the, uh, the gate there to be a boomer. And, and I think it's kind of funny because... I never realized that boomer meant anything else except a large male adult kangaroo. So, you know, in <laughs> Australia, boomers are kind of kangaroos. And uh, Hannah, do you know what they call a female kangaroo in Australia? I know the babies are joeys, but I don't know what they call the females. What so they're they call called flyers. So we have flyers, boomers, okay. flyers, and joeys. So good knowledge on uh, knowing that the little joey is the is the small kangaroo and yes. shout out to Australia my friends out there you know lots of uh, issues this summer big fires everybody kind of heard about it so you know over half a billion uh, animals perished um, in that in those bushfires so pretty pretty bad stuff going on down under did you hear about that I did yeah that was really not fun to watch not fun to watch it but looked like a lot of people and celebrities and public figures really rallied around the cause, which was awesome, and raised a lot of money, hopefully, to help find some sanctuary for the animals that did survive, so. Yeah, lots of repairing going, but, you know, it is a natural thing back down under, you know, our bushes made to burn, so mm -hmm. unfortunately, uh, you know, with the drought and uh, too many years of not caring for the bush, it just took off like a, an explosive fireworks show. So anyway, enough of that. So what is OK Boomer 64 all about? So um, I'm here, I, I started working at PIN and uh, I'm really pleased to be here. And, and I'm, I guess I keep looking around the room when I'm in these meetings and I'm kind of the oldest person in the room. I'm certainly one with probably the grayest hair and the most scars um, because you know I've, I've spent pretty well most of my life as a as a career exec, um, climbing the corporate ladder, and and uh, so I'm super pleased to be here. And as I look around, I, I kind of I pinch myself because I'm blessed to be you know in this type of environment with really young, smart people. And uh, I try and remember the differences when I was first starting my career as a 20-year-old or a 22-year-old versus, you know, the young people in the workforce today. So topic is to really kind of dig into what are the similarities and differences and challenges of the work environment when you've got different generations. So mm -hmm. um, when, I, when I came up with the name of the show, it was really on some of these funny videos going around on OK Boomer, which was like the, hand, the stiff arm from the young people in the organization saying, hey, leave me alone or piss off, right? Am I allowed to say piss off? It's an Australian word. Um, you know, just get out of, get out of my space. But uh, how, do you, how do you think about that, Hannah, in terms of 
some of the generations that are different in the uh, in the companies that uh, you work work with or work for? I mean, honestly, I think I mean, no disrespect to the boomers. I think they're leading the charge for the rest of us. I mean, my parents are boomers, so they, I mean, they taught me everything I know and have great family values, work values. Um, they're very hard workers. That's one thing that I would say for boomers is they don't cheat. They don't take shortcuts. They do things the hard way. So I think the term okay boomer just comes from the one kind of fault that I think some boomers have is that they're a little bit close-minded when it comes to the way that they do things, the way that they kind of approach business and parenting and life skills. And I think my generation has been raised to be a lot more open-minded in a lot of different ways. So I think sometimes when boomers are very set in their ways and don't want to change things or they don't want to deviate from what their norm is that's kind of where the okay boomer like eye roll comes from <laughs> and so I've I, seen a few of those lately by the way yeah okay boomer and you know I'm getting that name I'm getting several names in the organization here I've been in the company now just over a month and uh, you know I do wear black so they kind of freak out when I walk into a room so <laughs> I don't know if that's like the uh, the uh, the fashion choice of the boomer generation, but it kind of works well for me. So, Hannah, tell me what what generation are you? Do you know? Do you know? Are you? So I believe. I mean, I've seen different ways of kind of how they've laid out the ages and the years and everything. But I think I'm on the very end of the millennial spectrum. So I was born in 1996, and I think they usually say like that's like the last year of millennial. So wow, the next so one would be Gen Z. So I'm kind of like right right on the between. cusp. Yeah. So that's interesting, right? You're the last year of the millennials. I'm the last year of the baby baby boomers. So we're kind of like on that cusp of uh, of the two generations. So for those that aren't aware of this whole generational piece, so it started with the lost generation, which was 19 uh, so 1883 to the 1900s. And then the greatest generation appeared, which is kind of cute that they named themselves the greatest generation, right? <laughs> 1901 to 1927. Um, then the silent generation, which was 1928 to 1945. Then the boomers, which was 1946 to 1964. Go boomers. <laughs> and then Generation X, which was 65 to 79. I think those guys, you know, they did a lot of drugs. I think Generation X, they were pretty interesting group and then millennials 1980 which was kind of when I was finishing high school um, to the mid 90s so let's say it's 96 right and, and generation Z is 96 to today I wonder what the next generation is going to be but uh, or even if there is one uh, but that's kind of the the scope and you know there's lots of uh, discussion and books and speaking tours about, you know, and, and speakers on the subject of millennials and how to harness the power of their creativity um, in the workplace. And I think that's that's a pretty interesting piece. I, I appreciate you saying that the boomers are really closed-minded and set in their <laughs> ways. I'd love to understand that a little bit more. But um, yeah, tell, tell me what you think the uh, kind of millennials are and what their differences are to the, you know, let's just say the boomers. Well, I guess in the workplace, for example, I think um, 
in the case of, I mean, this may or may not be true, but the fact that I think a lot more millennials have gotten the opportunity to go to college and kind of um, broaden their horizons as far as careers and knowledge and information. And obviously we had the advantage of technology to be a tool to us to learn throughout our entire educational experience. But um, I think what I've noticed a lot with boomers is that they they like to think practical. And especially with my father, I see that a lot. He's like, he doesn't, he would never, even if he wanted to be a painter and that was what he liked to do, he would never see that as something that he could do as a career. He would see that as a hobby that he would do maybe outside of work. But he would probably shoot for the very practical job that could earn him the most money and support his family, which for him was sales and business at the time. But I just remember I saw it a lot as um, he was kind of mentoring my brother when he was in college and the different careers that he wanted to do. And he obviously was pushing him for more a more stable, kind of high-paying type job like engineering, finance, business. And Josh just wasn't finding that to be his passion. It took him a little while to get there. And then he finally landed on the fact he took um, Spanish throughout um, high school, college. He was very advanced in his Spanish courses and loved speaking a foreign language and learning about different cultures. And he traveled a lot. He went to Chile, Peru, Spain, like all the Spanish-speaking countries. Cool. And he, he decided that he wanted to be a teacher. And so that didn't quite sit great with my dad because he just, like, of course, first head goes to money. Right. Teachers don't make a lot of money. Right. Like, and just didn't see the sort of, like, creative, passionate side that Josh saw to his career versus the more practical side. So I don't know. I guess that's kind of the way that I've looked at the difference and especially in oh, – workplace environment but I mean I've I've seen it the other way around though where like a lot of boomers have shown a lot of creativity and open-mindedness and I don't know they're just encouraging of different more creative career paths I guess you could say I mean I think it probably has a lot to do with how that person grew up and their parents and but yeah, I think it's really interesting, right? Because, um, you know, we'll, we'll get into a couple of different topics here. But, you know, when I was leaving university in Australia, <clears throat> you know, my my background was I actually really wanted to be a doctor. Um, mm -hmm. And in Australia, you know, you, you've finished your high school, you fit, you, you've sit the highest school certificate, which is a score out of 500. And depending on how smart you are or how much you score out of 500 depends really your career, right? So medicine is one of the highest groups, you know, and so you really have to get like 490 out of 500 um, to be a doctor. And then, you know, legal is just underneath that and then it cascades all the way down to, you know, different careers. Mm -hmm. And so I missed out, you know, by a couple of marks the first go round. I had glandular fever, which is a whole nother story. They call it the kissing disease, mononucleosis, right? So <laughs> I guess I was a bad boy in my last year of high school. But um, anyway, I, I, I kind of went back and reset, you know, did another year of high school to try and get there. And in that year, I really kind of found myself that it was like, do I really want to be a doctor? And I landed on, you know, the idea of, you know, getting into business and do, doing marketing. So that was kind of my, my passion and, you know, the, the rest is kind of history. But when I look around, you know, today, you know, versus, you know, how many ever years ago that was, so I think I left 
university in like 85, right? Um, so even that's pre, you know, or that's in the midst of a, the millennial starting the generation. Um, there was not a lot of career paths like there are today, right? They, they mm -hmm. were really about big companies. And, um, <clears throat> you know, if you wanted to set that direction, there was no real thought of, hey, I could be a CEO of my own company, right? Entrepreneurship and the ability to monetize things like become a YouTube star, right? Or, or you know, invent your own widget or start a t-shirt company was never really seen as an option. So you kind of went into the corporate world or you went into the technician world and became a mechanic or a woodworker or something. So you kind of had this dichotomy of, you know, I guess, I don't know if it's even politically correct, but, you know, blue collar, white collar type, you know, environments where today, you know, there's so much opportunity to f make your own career, right? Start your own company. And that kind of leads to this kind of interesting <clears throat> word called entitlement, right? Um, and, uh, you know, when, when I sit down with young people in organizations, you know, there is this real topic of, hey, you know, you're, you should be lucky that you hired me, right? And I want to be the CEO, right? <laughs> you know, sooner than necessary. So, you know, help me understand that from a from a millennial standpoint, that word entitlement? Well, I think the one thing, I mean, it's probably going to be a theme of this entire conversation is that I think the one way that we feel, I mean, a few different ways, but I, I would say like a large part of it, especially if you're entering like a business or a tech company or like any sort of um, career path that is would benefit from kind of advancing their technological knowledge and skills. I feel like coming in and being trained like your basic, basically your whole life to work this technology and use these programs and different things. I feel like when you enter that type of a career, you're like, I have something to give you. Whereas I think something that's pretty common when you're first starting out in your career is like, you feel like you're at the bottom of the food chain, like all you don't really have a whole lot to offer right now except your potential. And you think that your employers are kind of the ones that will be doing the teaching. But I think that's the one, in a sense, that the one way that uh, millennials might feel a little entitled is that we just have that one skill set that you guys don't have, almost like you need us. So you can't really can't really say no. <laughs> you can totally say no, trust me. So you can me. say, okay, boomer, but you can't say, can't say no to a millennial. Yeah. That's kind of the new tagline, right? Okay. I mean, I would say, I don't know. There's probably a lot of different ways that that can affect your attitude towards getting a job as a young person like myself. But I mean, my parents always taught me to be very respectful and kind of, I mean, respect, like have confidence in yourself and your abilities, but you know, don't like disrespect anybody yeah so I mean it's they always told me to kind of approach it like have confidence show off your skills um kind of point out those things that you might have that they need but like obviously never be disrespectful never act like you're better than anybody so so that's a mantra because I don't think that's a real I've run into a lot of millennials that just like don't have that kind of respect. So, you know, probably your parents gave you a, a good a good kind of, you know, respect your elders. And so interesting enough, I've got three kids. They're not kids. They're all millennials. So <laughs> born in 1990, 92 and 94. So they're 
they're 30, 28, and 26, right? So they're right in that sweet spot. And, uh, you know, they're, they're just, you're right, they're so confident, right? And the world is their oyster, and, and uh, they're pushing into, you know, three really separate careers. You know, one's an opera singer um, oh, wow. in, in Germany. That's um, awesome. One's a, uh, our middle guy is a uh, videographer, uh, has his own company. He's a, you know, his business card says CEO. So at 28, he's a CEO, <laughs> right, of a one-man company. But again, he's doing what he loves to do. <clears throat> and then my daughter's in the social media environment in a startup in New York, and she's a great marketer. And, you know, she's probably the, the one that's closest to my skill set, right, which is marketing. But, um, you know, I, I've, as a parent, I've always said, you know, find something that you love to do, right? So what are you passionate about? Because that gives you that positive energy, that drive to overcome. And, uh, you, know, <clears throat> you know, there are good days and there are shitty days, right? So, you know, on a shitty day, you want to know that, you know, there's something that you love to do. And yes, you've got to get through it. But at the end of the day, you sit back and say, hey, I'm blessed that I'm doing something that I love. And then the challenge is how do you make money out of that, right? Like mm -hmm. how do you find something that, back to your dad's point about being practical, because you know money is a requirement, right? You do need to pay your rent, you do need to put food on the table, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I've been lucky that you know my jobs, my career, I've always loved them. <clears throat> you know, love what I'm doing. Haven't always loved my boss, but that's a whole nother kind of story, right? Um, but but. Uh, you know, so that's that kind of, you know, how do you how do you find that work environment that you are passionate about? And then how do you monetize that? Right. And then the, uh, the third thing for me is, you know, how do you leave a legacy? Right. How do you do something that you're proud of, change the world, make it a better place, that type of stuff? And, you know, that's kind of my DNA. Um, so I don't know if that resonates with kind of you, uh, Hannah, in terms of what you're trying to get to out of life and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty on track with what I've always kind of aimed for. It's like, obviously, my first priority was always to get a good education. And I kind of never really saw myself in one of those um, type careers that would require continuing education, like the educational field itself, or like a doctorate or any sort of advancement of that because I always when I went to college I wanted to be a reporter of some kind so I went to um so you're the professional here right so you're a media <laughs> you're a media yeah. interviewer and presenter so that's great okay I always loved like I liked kind of being in the spotlight being a leader I liked being on camera I loved talking I liked using media I always thought video photography all that was very interesting I didn't know exactly where that would land me, but that kind of my first inclination was like, okay, that's that's journalism. So that's what I'll do when I go to college. So I pretty much stayed on track with that my entire college career, which was very different from my brother's experience who switched majors a lot. But I mean, I'm always, I'm not really a very, I mean, I don't know if I'd say that sometimes, but I'm not like, I just like to have a plan. I'm pretty, pretty predictable. I don't like to be crazy spontaneous and just up and completely change my situation overnight. That's not really me. But, um, so that's why I kind of stuck with journalism and did that whole thing. But I, um, I mean, you do find that sometimes you try something and it's just not really what you want to do. And so I think that's how I felt, at least with like the reporting broadcast side, mm -hmm. I still loved media and, that whole industry, like the television industry, but like news reporting, sports reporting, like I was, that was kind of 
becoming less and less interesting to me or where I could see myself. So that's, I kind of faded out of that and then was a little bit lost. I was like, okay, I've like got all these skills. I know like kind of what I could do. But then once I started to apply for jobs after I graduated, I was kind of like, well, I could do a lot of different things. Cause like, I'm not sticking to that one thing, but I have a lot of different skill sets. So, I mean, I'm happy that college kind of prepared me for that reality. Like I had a lot of those different options, which is nice. And I think millennials, that's like the buzzword is like, we have options. Like we can do whatever we want to do. Like, I think our parents also were a good example of this. I've heard a lot of instances where like our parents went to school for like, like my dad went to school for engineering and became a salesman. Mm -hmm. So I think that was kind of hope for us. I'm like, okay, shoot. So like, I got a degree in this. That doesn't mean I'm totally screwed and can't do this other thing. So I think that was kind of nice to see that in the real world being someone's reality. But, um, I mean, I've always had kind of similar goals that, yeah, I just obviously want to like make enough money to be able to support myself handily and just be financially independent and just feel stable with my life. But obviously I didn't want to do something that bored me to tears. So, and I was very terrified that like, if I got some sort of boring desk job, I would start to hate it after like two years so yeah I mean I, I think that's interesting I mean again Australia US the, lots of similarities some differences the the higher education is quite different at least when I was going to university you know um, in Australia universities pretty well free or cheap right you do need to show you know through that high school certificate I mentioned that you have the you know academic chops to get into to university but it's I'm just really shocked at the cost of, you know, universities and colleges here in the U.S. and that, you know, these these folks leave college, you know, with huge debt and not necessarily, you know, a career path or a guarantee for a job. Um, so, you know, that entitlement question goes back, almost flip it on its head from a parental standpoint and say, so do you think your parents have to provide for you as you you know, get out of high school and go to college and they've got to help with the student debt and they've got to put a roof over your head and that type of stuff. Because I, you know, my my father died when I was nine, right? So single parent family. And, um, you know, I had to, although college wasn't as expensive, you know, I had to get a job, you know, I had to tend, you know, work in a bar and, you know, paper out early. So very early in my, you know, in my tenure on the planet Earth, I had to you know, provide for myself, at least for small things, right? So that whole work ethic, you know, entitlement slash, you know, what do you think today's generation looks back at their parents and says, hey, mom and dad, you know, you're still responsible for me. So, you know, pay my rent and pay my college tuition and stuff like that. How does, how does one think about that today in that millennial generation? I mean, I think I, I grew up in a very fortunate situation where my parents were um, able to provide for all of my educational fees and living fees and just any sort of extra thing that I wanted to do, which I was, which luckily they always raised me to be very conscious of that. Like be aware of the fact that not everyone lives this life. Not everyone gets this stuff paid for. Like you are very lucky to be in this situation. And I almost, I mean, in their way, they're like, there's no way we're doing this for you unless you in some way are earning it or proving to us that you deserve it. So in that, that was quantified in like grades and manners and behaviors and things like that. So like, that's kind of, I mean, obviously that was my dad's end all be all goal is to provide that life for us. So he was, he wanted that, but he still made sure to teach us as we went along that that's not 
that's not something that everyone experiences. And I had a lot of friends in college who they were using financial aid and they were getting second jobs and they were paying for a lot of it by themselves. And it was eye-opening to like watch someone go through that while I didn't have to do that. So it just made me feel very blessed in that sense. So I'm just, I think it's one thing to take it for granted, which I think a lot of kids do. And that's where they kind of gain that sense of entitlement. So, I mean, but on the other hand, I mean, I would say there's certain skills that you have to develop that that college career or that college education on your resume just isn't going to do it for you. So it's like, obviously, when you're getting a job, I feel like nowadays, it's like when companies look at your resume, they kind of just like go down the line like a checklist. And they're like, okay, they went to college, like they don't pay like, I mean, I could be wrong. But I just feel like in my experience, they have not made much mention of the fact of like where I went to college, what my degree was, what my GPA was, as much as they stress how important that is in college. Because then once you like kind of get to the interview, it's like sending your resume in is one thing and them going down the checklist is one thing. But then like they're looking for a lot of extra on top of that. They're like your personality, how you show off your skills, how you communicate with me, like your mannerisms. I just feel like there's a lot that my parents taught me that stuff as well to mm -hmm. help me get the job, which mm -hmm. made me kind of lose that sense of entitlement. Like I'm the chick with a college degree woohoo, hire me. Cause it's like everyone my age basically has that now. So. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I've spoken to a few parents that are at that call, you know, they have kids in college right now. And, and I don't know if your parents ever did this, but there was, there seems to be this, you know, hold it over your head that, you know, if you don't get the grades, you know, or you misbehave, then, you know, hey, you can pay for your own college or, you know, you can pay for your own rent. I'm, I'm not going to support you unless you, you know, behave this way or get these types of grades because, you know, college is expensive and, you know, the, there are those that go to college and do great and there are those that, you know, fail and that's an expense, you know, if you if you finish a couple of years of college and you don't get a degree and you've spent all this money, you know, it's 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 a shame, right? So mm -hmm. did your parents ever like threaten you to say, hey, if you don't get the grades or, you know, if you're misbehaving or not, you know, <clears throat> staying out too late at night or whatever, I mean, was that or was that ever held over your head as a, hey, do this or the consequences will be, uh, you know, catastrophic from a financial support standpoint? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I kind of saw it before I got there. Yeah, that would have been right before I got to college. I saw it firsthand with my brother. So I knew that they were not messing around because he, he went to a college out of state and was getting a little distracted, not really getting the best grades, skipping class, not not behaving in mm -hmm. the sense that they thought he should be and getting bad grades. And so they kind of warned him and warned him, and they're like, if you can't figure this out and get your grades up, then you're done. You're coming back. Mm -hmm. You're living with us, and you're getting, for lack of better words, your shit together. <laughs> and that's what happened. That's what they did. Like, he didn't get it figured out. He didn't um, get the good grades. He didn't go to class as much as he should be. And he kind of flunked out of an entire semester and got dragged back home, went to um, – just a college in Colorado in Denver while he was living with them because they didn't think he even deserved to be living on his own. So 
I got that like whole experience like played out for me like a movie. Right. So that's kind of why I was like, all right, if I mess up in college, like I'm screwed. Like I cannot do that. I will not, I don't want to be in that situation. I know it, it put Josh in a pretty dark place. I think it was for the best for him because he figured it out and obviously figured it, I don't know, got his shit together <laughs> once again. Um, but I mean, I think it also kind of helped him like discover himself a little bit and figure out the career path he actually wanted to do, which was teaching. So that was a good he, thing at the end of the day. But. Sounds like he taught you a lesson too, right? So you could yeah. see from a very younger sibling. <clears throat> I mean, you know. that's the best part about being the young, like it's just the two of us. So um, being the youngest is, it's, it's nice if like your older sibling is kind of, I mean, obviously you don't want them to mess up, but when they are, it's definitely a learning moment for yeah. you. Yeah. And it shows like it, calls your parents bluff, like they're not messing around. If they did it with him, there's no way they're not going to do it with me. So. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, it go, you know, another thing that you mentioned about that college badge, right, that you have a degree from X college. I can remember, you know, in 1990, I got sent from Australia to Dallas, Texas, which was a whole another kind of interesting experience. But I was the first international person to work at Frito-Lay headquarters, right, um, in Plano, Texas. And everybody was so proud of their college degree. So you'd go around a room and introduce yourselves and it would be like, you know, I, you know, uh, Cami from Harvard, right? And then, you know, from Wharton College and then from Duke and all these, I, I guess Frito-Lay just recruited, you know, the high level, you know, whatever they were, business schools. And so I was absolutely pretty petrified, right? I, you know, first time I've really been to the US and I'm trying to introduce myself. So I figured I had to wing it. So no one would know University of New South Wales, Australia, right? Um, so I just said Foster's University and, and they seemed to believe that, right? And, and it had its credibility because it was a beer. Um, but, uh, you know, I talk to me about today and, you know, college degrees and Ivy schools versus not, not a college degree. Because um, I think that's an interesting space, right? You know, the question is, can you be successful today without a college degree, right? Um, and what's the return on investment, right, of spending, what is it, 60 grand a year or 100 grand a year in, in certain colleges? Um, so talk, talk to me how you think about that, right? Because I'm interviewing lots of people these days, and I actually don't, to your earlier point, I actually don't really look at their kind of education or their degree. I'm more interested in what they've done, right? What have you actually done? Um, how do you think about that, Hannah? Yeah, I mean, I think as far as, like the point I brought up before, it's like I've kind of seen it in the real world, whereas like in my opinion, I just don't think like where you went to college says a whole lot about you as a person. Like I just think, so as an example, I was um, a production assistant for um, a production company called High Noon Entertainment, and they did a lot of um, HGTV shows. They did Fixer Upper, which is a really popular show. Um, and they did Cake Boss and TLC type shows. So basically all the interns got placed on um, a different show and kind of like the, their best performing show was a show called Fixer Upper. And so um, kind of the best, like highest, most promising intern was kind of going to get to be on Fixer Upper. And so the kid who was on Fixer Upper, he went to Harvard and I kind of heard that and I was like, Jesus, Harvard. Okay. Whew. I go to CU. Like, not that CU is like any less than Harvard in my opinion, but I mean, it's an Ivy. So it's like everyone sees an Ivy and they're like, oh man. But then 
first day comes and we meet this kid and he is just like so lame like for lack of a better <laughs> words like he literally was like he wouldn't say a word like wasn't very outgoing like his demeanor and like the way that he spoke and the way that he like sat in meetings was always very like I don't want to be here almost like his parents like forced him to do it and didn't seem energetic and all us other interns that like worked our ass off to get this this internship like were very enthusiastic and very chatty and like always like willing to help and kind of put in the extra hours and like then there's this kid from Harvard who's kind of like sitting doing nothing but he's get he gets the best show and right. so we all just saw that and we're just like there's some Dang. there's some unfairness to that like Dang. I just think so in my opinion I think your college degree I think shows that I mean in the case of like Ivy versus private versus community college. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into that as far as like, obviously finance, like finances. And, but then I also think one thing that always frustrated me when I was getting into college is like, I feel like people are rewarded for just being a good test taker. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't think that being a good test taker necessarily means that you are that intelligent. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I just, that was the one thing that like drove me crazy is like, I was like, I feel like I'm so much smarter in other ways that I can't show to these colleges right. other than on a piece of paper, on a number that I got on a test. And so I think a lot of these kids that go to Ivy's like can get that number, but they don't necessarily have like an interpersonal social like high IQ. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, I feel like a lot of people who may not be able to afford college or can't quite get those test scores, like do have that and are going to excel a lot in life just because they have that strong social IQ. So I think that was something that I always thought about when it differed between the two. I mean, obviously there's those insanely smart people that end up at Ivy's and become doctors. And that's just like, that works out for them. That's the path that they're on. Right. They might get scholarships. Who knows? There might be a kid who like didn't pay for any of it other than just working really hard in school. And, but I think, I mean, I will say that a college degree to employers probably shows that you do have a good work ethic, at least like mm -hmm. getting through college, getting good grades. Like it's a lot of work. It's hard. It's discipline, right? It's not easy. Mm -hmm. I think getting into college and completing college is a completely different thing. Like I think people can get in based off that whole, I'm good at taking tests and I'm good at writing essays and mm -hmm. things like that. But like actually getting through college with a decent GPA and like having extracurriculars on top of that and internships is really tough. And so I think my only hope from employers is that they would take that and say, okay, she's a hard worker. She's smart, obviously. She, um, and then I did a lot of internships on top of it, which my school actually which I thank them to this day. They required us to have internship hours. Like it was required. It was right. part of, you will not graduate unless you have at least like X amount of internship hours. And so that really helped me. And in half of my internships out of college, they would ask me only about my internships. Like we would sit there and talk about like what I did right. the whole time. So I think you're thinking that um, employers are more interested in what people are doing have done, right. is yeah. more important. Yeah, I think, you know, <clears throat> to me it's about, again, and it, I just looked at some of my notes from your earlier conversation, it's about are people practical, right? Because there's a big difference in the world, especially as you trans, you know, transition from college academics, right, to actually the business world where you actually need to do things, right? Um, you actually need to deliver you know, your boss company sets your objectives and then it's about getting stuff done. I call it GSD, right? Get shit done. Like, does this person get shit done? 
So there's a practical side of it. And then I think even more importantly or important is the relationship side, right? So can this person communicate? Can this person work as a team? Because, you know, the teamwork makes the dream work, right? And again, you know, it takes a village to be, you know, it takes a village of people to achieve something, right? This one-man band, you know, in a company, you know, can't scale, right? So so it's that, are you practical, right? And then can you get on with people? Or can you communicate? And, uh, <clears throat> you know, that's what, that's what I look for these days. You know, I don't, again, it's nice to tick the box that this person went to college, but there are a lot of super successful, super rich billionaires today that never went to college, right? Yep. That, you know, found, again, back to find the passion, you know, found something that really drove them to exceed, to discover something, to be curious about the world and find solutions, and then monetize that, right? So, you know, that's that's kind of that's kind of what I, I look at. And uh, again, at PIN, I think we're blessed where we've got a lot of great people that are practical that can, you know, get stuff done, um, you know, as we grow and, and, and our CEO and the execs throw challenges at the workforce, you know, people, you know, are, are leaning forward, right? They're looking for that opportunity, you know, they're looking to get stuff done and it's not a solo race, right? It's a, te- it's a team effort. Um, so again, relationships are really key in the workplace and, you know, we we put our employees through a personality test, even just at the interview stage, just to say, "Hey, what what drives this person? Right? What what you know? What are their communication skills? Do they like working with people, et cetera, et cetera?" And I don't know how you think about that, but to me, they're kind of the two big things. You know, what what have you done? So, are you practical? You know, can you get yourself out of an academic environment and actually do stuff? Then, how do you get on with people? Right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's why. I mean. Growing up, it's like I was smart enough, obviously, to, like, get the marks on my papers and get good grades and all that kind of stuff. But I just, like, deep down, I really hated taking tests. I was like, like I said before, I was like, this frustrates me. Like, I feel like this doesn't really show off, like, my skills. And so once I got to college and was doing interviews and now that I'm in my career, I was just so kind of like eager and thankful that I got to like the skills that I think I'm actually good at or what mattered. It's like, I'm good at talking to people. I'm, I love being on a team, played team sports my whole life. Like I hate when I, hate's a strong word, but I don't love when I have to do something all by myself. Like I love projects that I get to work on it with other Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, like that was such a, such a great thing about being out of college and being done with the whole test taking part of my life and like having all these other things basically decide how smart I am basically and how good I am and how good I will be at my job because I just felt like that was kind of like a crock and just wanted to like show off my other interpersonal skills which is why I think it's great that that's taken so seriously by employers still. So, yeah, and you just mentioned something that, you know, sub- subconsciously I always look at as that team sport piece, right? So, mm-hmm. were you on a team? Did you play sport? Because that, again, I think there's a lot of learnings and life lessons, you know, on how to work as a group, you know, how to, you know, overcome challenges um, and understand that there's a hierarchy in a team, right? And each sport has kind of different roles and responsibilities. You know, I played rugby and cricket, you know, growing up in Australia. I guess that's pretty foreign here. I think you guys think <laughs> rugby's a crazy, crazy game. 
But, you know, I, it's, I, tough. I, it's tough. Well, <laughs> I, I'm not sure why you need helmets and pads, quite honestly. You know, if you're man enough to play contact sport, you know, let's just do it so you've got stitches in your head at the end of the day rather than, you know, concussions so, or both. <laughs> but, yeah, that team sport thing is super important. And, uh, you know, my three kids, you know, I'm passionate about sports. So it was, and they were in a school environment where sport was you know, really encouraged, if not mandated, right? So, um, you know, again, it's just a great a great learning experience, right? So, you know, there's lots of opportunities to learn as you grow up. And, and, I, and I, I'm guessing that uh, sport today and the sport in the millennial life is important too, right? Uh, part, especially about participation more than just, you know, watching the football or, or the baseball on the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think more than anything, they, they've continued to stress the importance of that. Like, I remember... Um, I just always enjoyed playing sports, so I always played them, and my my family's very sport oriented. I played lacrosse my whole life, so great game. I know, love it. I wish it's they had lacrosse in Australia. That's for sure. When I was growing up, yeah, little brother of war. It's a it was a blast. Like my brother played, and so like I just wanted to do everything he did as a kid. Yeah. So I started when I was like eight, and I was really glad for that. So I played like club, high school, and all the different um, leagues that you can play mm-hmm. basically for mm-hmm. women's lacrosse. Mm-hmm. But um, even like in high school, and I mean, hopefully parents are encouraging their kids to do those extracurriculars, like do other things. Like it doesn't have to be sports, but do something that you are on a team, do the debate team, do any sort of like group activity that just teaches you how to um, interact with others properly right. and just treat others with respect and right. kind of like take everyone's opinion into account, but also like find those leadership skills. Like I was fortunate enough to be captain two years my high, like throughout high school. And I don't know, I just always, that came very natural to me. Like I liked cheering people on. I liked making group decisions. I liked leading. And so I thought that was a very good sign for like where I could go with my mm-hmm. career. Mm-hmm. And I still say that, yeah, team sports had a big part in that but I mean even colleges are like looking to see that you played like it's not necessarily a a smarts thing but it's like okay well she played lacrosse and got good grades and did all these different activities and did like philanthropic activities like they just want to see that you have more substance to you than just like taking those tests well which is nice I was always thankful that those things were taken into consideration yeah I mean you know sports at school or through college teaches you that discipline right that you know it's about time management right it's like how do I get all this stuff done right and again time management is a real gift you know in the work environment just making sure that you're prioritizing what you need to get done and you have a certain amount of time allocated to your job, which we need to talk about, right? Work hours, work ethic, and and, uh, some of the differences there. I'd love to get your perspective. But, you know, when you look at, you know, when you look at kids and then you look at adults, if they've been taught that, you know, know, there's a rigorous schedule. You know, my kids were competitive swimmers, which meant they were up at 4, 35 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, either my wife or I, mostly my wife for sure, you know, drove them to swim practice at, still in the dark, right? And they had to get an hour and a half in the pool and then have breakfast and then get to school. You know, it's a real schedule and a commitment and, um, you know, it's hard, right? So that, that stuff is hard. Um, but it taught everybody, you know, in that environment that, you know, they were part of a swim team, that they were dedicated to be the best that they could be. And physically, mentally, you know, they got a lot sharper, right, as young, young growing adults. 
which I think are great life lessons, um, <clears throat> you know, as, as you move forward. So that time management piece, that work ethic, that kind of setting yourself a goal, whether that be the, you know, the, 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 the champion team of the year or, you know, your win-loss ratio or your personal best times in the pool, you know, all that stuff is, is really interesting. So let's, let's jump into that work ethic thing, right? So, um, you know, I think that's part of that entitlement piece. You know, I, I do think that millennials are accused of or a generalized statement that, you know, millennials don't have the same work ethic as earlier generations, right? And so love to hear your thought on, you know, you call the boomers practical, so the, the boomers call the millennials lazy. Let's just say that, right? How does that spark? Hopefully that makes you feel a little bit stabbed like I was stabbed when you were kind of saying I was closed-minded and set in my ways. But anyway, there you go. Deal. Um, there's a go for you. Anna. Yeah, no, I mean, I've heard that one a lot. And honestly, like, I think there's a lot of truth to it as far as like, I think I, I would argue till the day I die that like boomers have an insanely amazing work ethic. Like I've just been fortunate enough to watch parents that had a really amazing work ethic and they um, especially my mom, and she's always been like a big inspiration to me because she's worked her whole life. And even having kids, like she did the working mom career life, balancing kids, and did an amazing job and was always there for us. And never, like, both my parents would always make a great effort to like never miss a single one of my games. Like, one of them was always there, which was always great. And so, seeing that work ethic and knowing that it's possible to balance all of those things was a really good learning experience just my whole life growing up. So it's like, yeah, they're boomers, and I know that they have a really great work ethic. And so I guess I always I always tried to emulate that. So I would hope that I'm the millennial that's not being lazy. Or, But I think that kind of brings us back to our previous conversation is that I think millennials that especially have been given everything to them, like given – anything that their parents basically provided everything for them. I think that kind of like sets the tone for the rest of their life and the way that they look at things and that they don't have to work hard for the things that they want. And so I think that's where kind of the laziness comes into play. Uh And so, I mean, I don't really know what kind of triggers that because I know not every millennial grows up with that same experience that everything's paid for for them and everything's taken care of because I know a lot of people that are definitely not like that. But I don't know. I guess boomers just always had that kind of get shit done attitude from the very beginning. And I think it's, I don't know. I don't really, I really can't draw a conclusion to why that is. But I mean, I think as far as there could be part of it is that, I don't know, maybe technology plays into it a little bit with millennials, that they do have easier ways of getting things that they want. Like even my parents used to talk about it, like when they had to, take a test and they had to like look up the definition of something like they would have to go find the definition of that in a book like they would have to really do kind of like way more steps you had to go to the library right you couldn't just uh, put it on your phone and you know what we're about you know 50 minutes into this and we actually haven't even talked about technology which is (laughs) probably one of the biggest great divides between the generations maybe we leave that for for like the next episode but I mean you know going back to what you just said and and I don't I don't think I think the general the generalized statement that millennials are lazy it's like all generalizations right it's not true but there is some source of you know interest or truth there right Um, and when I look around 
you know, this office environment, there are people that really work super hard. And I think they're probably being, uh, you know, ingrained with parents or environments where, you know, and, and it, it is, I think it is pretty truth, true. It's one of those, you know, true, truths in life that, you know, things don't happen by accident, right? You know, you do have to work hard to get somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. The only thing that is, you know, against that is like the lottery ticket, right? And I, I, I always say lottery tickets, you know, it's it's not even a, um, a noticeable or statistically um, improvement on winning a lottery by buying a lottery ticket. I mean, your chances are like, you know, one in millions of millions of millions. So if you were sitting around waiting for to win the lottery, then good luck, right? Um, you know, food stamps, you know, you're provided for that type of stuff. But if you really want to get ahead and be successful, and if you're modeling yourself uh, against your parents, right, then it is about dedicating, working hard, chasing the, chasing the dollar. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, certainly as a young exec in, a, in Australia, I started with a, a U.S. company, right? It, it was all about the corporate ladder. And you know, everybody was very sensitive about not leaving the office until all the bosses had left, right, or being the first one in. And it was part of this perception that, you know, hey, David works really hard because, you know, even when I leave at 7 or 8 or 9 at night, he's still there working, right? And when I get there at 7 in the morning, he's still there. And there was all those fun movies of you'd, like, leave a pizza box on your desk and, you know, wear the same clothes the next day so your boss thought you slept there. Sometimes you did, sometimes you didn't. But... It was really about, you know, the perception of working really hard, right, and, and not having a life outside of work. I think it was, it was almost inexcusable that you would have a life outside of work when you're young in your career, and I think that's very different today. Do you have a life outside of work, Anna? Uh, I do. I mean, I, <laughs> I try to anyway. Um, but that's – in my first job out of college, I had a, a boss who was basically like that was her. Like she was like, I never stop working. Like she came in one day and was like, oh, I had food poisoning all night long. And we're like, well, then why are you here? <laughs> like we just – I don't – she was crazy. And we had to work weekends because we were – it was for um, an entertainment news company that I worked for. And so – news never stops. Like you always basically have to be on the clock. So I understood her mentality of being kind of a workhorse in that sense. It's like someone's got to do it because it never stops. So we worked a lot of weekends and she would always be working on the weekends. Like it just never seemed like she took a break and she would always kind of complain that like her husband was irritated that she kept taking work home and just never stopped talking about it, never stopped thinking about it, would come home late. And I'm just like, I just don't really, that's not the life that I want to lead. I'm like, I want to have other things going on. I want to prioritize my family. I want to prioritize my hobbies and my health and like exercising. And so I never, I mean, maybe this is just a me thing, but I, I mean, I wanted my career to be a big part of my life, but I didn't want it to take over my life. Right. Like I definitely saw my parents struggle with that balance a little bit. Like they would definitely be missing important things that I wouldn't necessarily want to miss because of their jobs, right. which definitely got frustrating. I mean, I think it made me and my brother very independent, but there was a lot of times when they're like, we're not going to be there. I'm not going to be home till this time. Make your own dinner, Make which kind of hurt and kind of sucked. But it's yeah. like they, I mean, they were prioritizing their careers. Like it was very important to them. It's still very important to them. It's their passion. So um, I don't know. I guess the time, I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's interesting, right? So I'm, I'm thinking back now, right? I left uh, university. I was playing rugby at a very high level. 
and I try and I got a great job, right? And so I was a sales guy for Frito-Lay that was like a program where I was going to be in sales for a year and then into marketing for a year. And I tried to play rugby and work, which was my passion, right, outside of work. And uh, I had to give it up. I just was so exhausted, right? And, inju- you know, turning up to the office on Monday morning, battered and bruised, uh, was, was kind of tough. So I had to make a conscious decision. You know, is this a hobby that I want to continue? Because um, in those days, rugby wasn't a professional sport. You know, it was you had the pleasure of playing, playing at the highest level for the country, right? Um, but it was never a moneymaker, right? Um, different today. I mean, most of those sports now are super professional and, and you can make a lot of money at it. Um, not that I was that good, but, you know, it was about, okay, I really have to make a life choice, right? I've got to either dedicate myself pretty well 100% to the work environment and try and climb the corporate ladder. But that took a lot of work, right? And it took a lot of dedication and I had to cut out you know, all those other nice things to do, right? You know, hobbies, et cetera, until much later in life where I then had enough time that, you know, balancing family work and then, you know, kind of personal hobbies um, was was able because I could steal some time away from work without compromising my career opportunity, basically. So interesting stuff. So we've gone over over a lot today, um, you know, just thinking about, the differences and there's a whole lot more topics that you know we can tee up for next time but i've really enjoyed the the conversation i think we've gone over entitlement uh we've gone over colleges i think we've touched on some cultural differences between australia and uh, and the u.s mm-hmm. um the work ethic um being practical i love that closed-minded set set in your ways type stuff versus the millennials that are you know highly creative and entrepreneurial there's always exceptions to there's that, always though. exceptions <laughs> but uh, hey i've really enjoyed this uh you know if you're still listening then ring that bell um you know i've got some social media that i'm kind of starting i guess that's something that we can talk about but you know on instagram i'm okay boomer underscore 64 and on facebook i'm okay boomer um, and I think I love this logo behind us. I think I'm going to make that into a T-shirt, especially if it's black. But uh, Hannah Rice, you know, it's been an amazing journey. Uh, I'm actually really looking forward to the next one. How yeah. about you? Would you come back to this Aussie show on some of the tensions between uh, the millennial generation and the, and the boomers? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to come back and plead my case for the millennials yeah. that are good hard workers and if there's anybody listening out there that has some topics that they would like us to broach or dig into um you know please feel free to to get us a message and uh but hey it's it's wednesday it's okay boomer day and we're ready to sign off so i'm david knight the host of okay boomer 64 and hannah i'm hannah thanks guys <laughs> awesome have a great great day Get out there, bounce around like a boomer. Boing, boing, boing. Have a great day, everybody. Bye.